Here we are in the middle of a summer sermon series on Psalm 23 and a book of poetry called How to Love the World, Poems of Gratitude and Hope. And so we hope that Psalm 23 brings you to that place, to this place where you might learn to love the world anew um, with gratitude and hope. I will read um, Psalm 23. We've already sung it in, um, in a poetic version. This is, um, this is a translation by Robert Alter. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In grass meadows he makes me lie down. By quiet waters guides me. My life he brings back. He leads me on pathways of justice for his namesake. Though I walk in the veil of death's shadow, I fear no harm, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, it is they that console me. You set out a table before me in the faces of my foes. You moisten my head with oil and my cup overflows. But let goodness and kindness pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for many long days. And then a poem, this one called Growing Apples by Nancy Miller Gomez. There is big excitement today in C Block, On the windowsill in a plastic ice cream cup, a little plant is growing. This is all the men want to talk about, how an apple seed germinated in a crack of damp concrete, how they tore open tea bags to collect the leaves, leached them in water, then laid the sprout onto the bed made of Lipton, How this finger of spring dug one delicate root down into the dark fannings and now two small sleeves of green are pushing out from the emerging tip. The men are tipsy with this miracle. Each morning, one by one, they go to the window and check the progress of the struggling plant. All through the day, they return to stand over the seedling and whisper. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have only entered a prison once, while a correctional facility, just for the afternoon. I was there with Emily Gunther, who is the director of Grinnell College's Liberal Arts in Prison program. I rode there in the back of Professor George Drake's sedan. He knew the way because he went there every Tuesday to teach. We parked and we walked up to the gate and we were asked to present ID, to place these belongings in this little bin, to go through security, leave those belongings back in the car, go here, wait here, listen, 
We finally arrived at the classroom and Dr. Drake lectured history, I, I think. Afterwards, the men were generous with me, asking questions, who, who are you? A college chaplain. Will, will you come back? They asked questions I didn't know the answer to. They spoke with interest about the class and how they loved it. Emily Gunther was one of the college students who started the program on a wing and a prayer, and now you can earn up to 60 credits from Grinnell College from within the walls of Newton Correctional Facility, halfway to a degree. They taught by remote classroom all last year, no surprise, not skipping a beat. One man from the program said, this has a blast radius that extends to our family and friends. You come out of this program wanting to help people. Another said, you can't imagine what a pen is worth in prison. Statistics suggest that no other program is as successful in mitigating reincarceration after release. So I was intrigued by Nancy Gomez's poem, Growing Apples. She was on C Block for a similar reason. She teaches poetry at Salinas Valley State Prison, part of this prison poetry in jails program. There is excitement in C Block today, she begins. Those first words are packed with so much. They speak of hierarchy and ordered life, the trauma of incarceration, being anonymous, just a number in a system. And yet there, in the midst of it all, life emerges from the fragments of disordered chaos, an under-resourced accidental greenhouse becomes a place of miracle. The miracle is not just the fact that an apple seed germinated. It is not just the fact that the men noticed or that they stood over the seed whispering life. It's not just that they tore open tea bags, resourceful, a sign of hope. It's not just the struggling plant. It's not just those two small green leaves. It's not just Nancy Miller Gomez with her rendition of the excitement on, on the sea block that day. And it's not just James Cruz who scooped up this poem to place it among others, poems of hope and gratitude. Growing apples, hope and gratitude. And it's not just that Christine Hydes came across this book of poetry tucked away in a bookshop on the other side of the country when she was visiting her daughter. It's not just that miracle of seeing family mid-pandemic. It's not just my reading it or your hearing it. It is the whole scene taken together that becomes miracle. Nancy Miller Gomez says that poetry helps her make emotional sense of her life. Each poem, a struggle to clarify something I don't yet understand, she says. One of her students at the Blaine Street Women's Facility said that poetry class is the only place that I have right now where I feel strong enough to write my way through all the tragedy and loss that haunts me every day. It is more than I could ever ask for or expect. And in the poem, Growing Apples, Gomez traces it all, that sense of place in just those first eight words, the delight of an apple seed, the tender care, the hope, 
and hidden there in the middle distance, the exact moment that led to that kindling of friendship that made possible the nurturing of such a seed, or the complicated, painful story of how each man arrived there in the sea block and even the wide open future of what those men might be doing now, writing poetry, living changed lives, or not. The apple seedling does not necessarily demand or expect change, but it opens up a possibility nonetheless. I wonder, too, what poetry has been like in these last 18 months at the prison, a pandemic within a pandemic, a disease, ever-present virus alongside the affliction of mass incarceration, the plague of violence, a locking away, a silencing, a detaining of hope and gratitude, or not. Nancy Miller Gomez says she entered Salinas Valley State Prison with a backpack of poems and a fear of getting caught in a lockdown. But what she discovered was compassion and human connection. Poetry ushers us into other worlds, into other universes, so beyond our experience of life that they should be inaccessible, unreachable, and yet the poet conjures a reality so vivid that we are there in just a heartbeat, summoned and awakened. Nancy Miller Gomez conjures sea block as foreign to me as some centuries-old shepherd's field. I know these realities only tangentially, peripherally, from books, films, news articles, from that one afternoon, just a handful of minutes at the Newton Correctional Facility a dozen years ago. I can no more understand the reality of C Block than I can understand the reality of the green pastures about which the psalmist speaks. And yet poets open the door and let us in. Psalm 23 is such a poem, a poem that opens the door to an ancient world and opens the door to the sacred. And so it opens the door to ourselves and to seeing this world anew, to loving this world anew. Verse 1 offers an ancient thesis statement about the divine. The Lord is my shepherd. Verse 2 sets the scene lay down in those green pastures and be led to those still waters. And then verse 3 gives us a why. Restore my soul. Who, where, why? Shepherd, sustenance, soul. That is a why statement that I can get behind. To revive my soul there are a thousand reasons why any of us might seek that kind of renewal, restoration, resurrection, revival, whatever it is in your life, some new grief, some old pain, some surprising news, some lingering trauma, some long-held fear or unrealized hope, some triggered anxiety, some chronic heartbreak, some aching distress, Whatever it is, you know what it is for you. You carry within you a reason why. A reason why you seek the renewal and restoration and strength of our shepherd God. 
And the many translations of Psalm 23 from Hebrew to English give us a window into what the poet is trying to tell us. The New International Version says, God refreshes my soul. The Good News Bible says, God gives me strength. The Christian Standard Version says, God renews my life. And of course, we have that familiar echo of the 16th century King James Version written on our heart, God restoreth my soul. And we need all of them, every one of them, the refresh, the renewal, the restoration, the strength. No wonder selling Bibles in America is a half a billion dollar industry. In order to make way in this mother tongue of ours, some scholar must carry one of seemingly infinite number of translations to our doorstep so that we might enter into the poems of another world that we hold so dear. Bible after Bible, we line our shelves with new attempts at faithfulness. And so I've been carrying around Robert Alter's 2007 translation with me. It's been at arm's length all summer long. It's been open on my desk, alive. I've been using it for my daily devotional, and I am enamored by the poetic depth of his translation and his insights into what we miss when we read the Bible in a language other than the original. Robert Alter is a scholar of Hebrew and comparative literature at the University of California, Berkeley. He's been there since 1967. And in those early years, he wrote a lot of these scholarly articles and found that none of the English translations really were working for him. So he just put his own translation into his scholarly article and used it as reference. So bit by bit, he started collecting little pieces a verse here, a few more there. And soon that collection of translations grew and grew until he translated most of the Hebrew Bible, including the Psalms. And it's not, it's not like he undertook this on purpose, right? Nobody goes about translating Leviticus on purpose, for example. But sometimes we slog through things we did not intend for reasons we don't quite understand. So he translates Psalm 23, that third verse for today, as my life he brings back. My life he brings back. His translation evokes a truly life or death moment from which God has made sure rescue. I picture someone on the brink of death, someone who would have surely faded fast. Someone whose DNR is taped to their door, who has already called the priest for last rites. Maybe this is the 18-year-old from my former youth group who was training to become a pilot, and during training, the plane's engine failed, and he had to perform an emergency landing on a less-than-rural highway. Or maybe this is my friend whose car started to hydroplane on the highway but was flung into the grassy ditch instead of the nearby winter riverbank. Or maybe this is your long, hard childbirth that in another era would have gone completely differently. Or the near miracle of your survivorship. Or the COVID patient who you love, who was pulled back from death's door. 
Maybe it's been a long time, or it just happened, but each of us have a Psalm 23 moment. On my life, the Lord brings back. My life, the Lord brings back. If not for you, then for a loved one. My life, the Lord brings back. Robert Alter chooses his words carefully in this translation. He's especially attuned to this word that we translate as soul. We carry that word around with many assumptions attached. The King James Version says, He restoreth my soul. Robert Alter chooses the word life instead of soul. Because Robert Alter points out the word nephesh in Hebrew has such a laundry list of meanings that it's not universally true to translate as soul. It might mean breath, that breath that's within your body. It might mean living being. In the beginning of Genesis 1, all of those animals are, are explained with that word nephesh that are uh, brought into being. So, my life he brings back might be that feeling you get when the wind is knocked out of you, or it might be when your airway is blocked, or when there's a knee on your neck, or you can't breathe, and then, and then breath and life comes rushing back in. Adjacent to that is maybe this meaning of neck or throat, because of course your neck and throat are the way that you breathe. And so Psalm 69 in the King James Version says, Save me, O God, the waters have come up to my soul. But Robert Alter says, It's really, Save me, O God, the waters have come up to my neck. You hear it, right? More evocative. It brings out what might have been happening in this person's life. Not un unrelated, it might also be translated in other places as a variety of hungers, appetite, desire, emotion, passion. So Hebrew translation, it's not linear one equals one. There is room, there's breathing space to evoke something wider than we might have expected. Robert Alter also points out that the Hebrew worldview might have a little bit different view on what we call the soul. In Hebrew, there's not a way for body and soul to be separated. We can't think about body and soul in a, a dualistic way. In Hebrew, you can't have a body. You are a body. Your body can't be separate from your being. We are always embodied. We get these kind of dualistic, separate ways of thinking about body and, and spirit from our Greek influences in our theology. So it's there. There's roots there in other places. But some of those earliest theological debates in Christian history had to do with exactly what it means to be embodied, to be a fleshy person in the world, and where is God in the midst of that? And the early theologians find God enfleshed in Jesus Christ in his life and death and resurrection. And even the very origin stories of our faith point to an embodiment, to 
breath and life not being separated. The name Adam, right, the story of Adam and Eve, comes from that Hebrew word adamah, which means soil or earth or dirt into which God breathes life. Who we are is wrapped up in dirt and breath, in flesh and inhalation, taste and touch and smell. It is tied to the very core of who we are. Our most ancient Christian texts like Tertullian or Irenaeus talk of a tender, earthy flesh and a God who embraced tenderness and vulnerability in the person of Jesus Christ. They bring us back to the God of the manger in order to open us up to the shepherd God of Psalm 23. The refreshment of my soul is not some metaphorical or metaphysical reality, but a body-deep, feel-it-in-your-bones, flesh-bound restoration that comes when we are embodied in our own existence, sensing the nudge and necessity of the presence of God. As people of faith, we turn to poetry to give us this little window into an embodied life. It doesn't spirit us away from the pain, the poetry of Psalms does not, to some spiritual oasis, but detects the mus muscles and flesh tied to breath and life. What, poetry, what makes poetry ineffable is its attentiveness to the fleshiness of human existence. What makes sacred poetry so divine is its incarnational hue. So may God meet you today. May God meet you today in the vulnerability of need. May God meet you today with restoration, the inhale and exhale of breath, the strength and renewal that is only possible on the threshold of the presence of God. Amen.